0: Uh, Acts chapter 21, uh, Acts chapter 21, it's just one of those sermons, you guys, that I just want to really preach, and uh, I don't really feel adequate to preach it, Uh, so just pray for me, pray pray that you can listen, Uh, it's one of those sermons that would wreck you, Uh, it it would wreck your life in, in the most beautiful and wonderful way possible if you would listen. To to, to what the word of God says today in in Acts chapter 21. We have said from the very beginning that our guiding principle in studying the book of Acts would simply be this to to have what they had, we're going to do what? Do what they did. To have what they had, we must do what they did. But we're not. We're not getting this, it's not happening we've read the book of acts together today's the last day of this series and 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 we're not doing this now i don't know you haven't followed you around this week i've I've been in orlando this week at a conference i don't know where you've been this week I, i can't really say exactly that you haven't done this but my hunch is none of us have done this for the simple reason that since we started this series nobody's gotten saved at this church I mean, the book of Acts boils following Jesus down to one simple task, and that is to be a witness for him. I mean, our lives are worth nothing if not to be witnesses for Christ. And my hunch is we're not doing this, because if we were, people would get saved. In order to have what they had, we must do what they did. We continue to read the Bible as as a story of people different from us who lived a long time ago and lived very differently, and, and, and yet we don't understand that if we would do what they did, we could have what they had. And what they had was tremendous success for the sake of the gospel. They changed the world. That They changed the world. I, I guess... We choose to be silent rather than to share the gospel, and, and, and we reap the fruit and the benefits of silence. The old Miranda warning, uh, I don't know this by experience, some of you may, but before you get arrested, and yet before they interrogate, you you you're, tend to be Mirandized. I think that's the word that they use, you're Miranda. Is that right, Officer Hightower? Yeah, Mirandized. And it goes something like this. You have the Right to remain silent. You have the right to remain silent. If you refuse this right, anything you say can and will be used against you uh, in a court of law. You have a right to an attorney. I've watched Starsky and Hutch a lot. And and, and so that's that's how I know that. In, In reading the book of Acts up to this point, we're now at the moment just before Paul is going to be arrested. And Paul, as you know, ultimately, not in the book of Acts, but at the end of his story, he's going to be martyred. He's going to die for his faith. But but in this part of the story, things are just beginning to to ramp up. And and it becomes obvious that Paul's about to be in danger. He's about to be arrested. And, of course, he has the right to remain silent. But when it comes to the gospel, silent is the one thing that Paul will never be. You and me, though, that's a different story. Let's read together Acts chapter 21, verse 1. In this long series of farewells, these gospel goodbyes, and and this is after Paul has just said farewell to the Ephesian elders, and this is where we are. Acts chapter 21, I'm just going to read 14 verses. I know this isn't what's printed, um, but but, but this is what I'm going to read. After saying farewell to the Ephesian elders, we sailed straight to the island of Kos. The next day we reached Rhodes and then sent to Patara. There we boarded a ship sailing from Phoenicia. We sighted the island of Cyprus, passed it on our left and landed at the harbor of Tyre in Syria where the ship was unloaded its cargo. We went ashore, found the local believers and stayed with them a week. These believers prophesied through the Holy Spirit that Paul should not go to Jerusalem. When we returned to the ship at the end of the week, the entire congregation, including women and children, left the city and came down to the shore with us. There we knelt, prayed, and said our farewells. Then we went aboard, and they returned home. The next stop after leaving Tyre was Ptolemaeus, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed for one day. The next day we went on to Caesarea and stayed at the home of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven men who had been chosen to distribute food. He had four unmarried daughters who all had the gift of prophecy. Several days later, a man named Agabus, who also had the gift of prophecy, arrived from Judea. He came over, took Paul's belt, and bound his own feet and hands with it. Then he said, the Holy Spirit declares, so shall the owner of this belt be bound by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and turned over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the local believers all begged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. But Paul said, while this weeping, you're breaking my heart, I am really not only ready to be jailed at Jerusalem, but even to die for the sake of the Lord Jesus. To die for the sake of the Lord Jesus. When it was clear that we couldn't persuade Paul, we gave up. And said, the Lord's will be done. The Lord's will be done. It's this long series here of of gospel goodbyes. Uh, Matt Chandler would, would call them gospel goodbyes. These are moments in the church's life where even though what you have is really, really sweet and really, really good, you let that go. For the sake of the mission... For the sake of the gospel, you, you let that go. The word that is used here in, in, in verse 1 in, in chapter 20, after saying farewell, it, it's more than just goodbye. It's a very, very strong Greek word that means literally to tear apart, to tear away. So this picture here is that Paul and the, and the Ephesian elders, that, that, that you just have to tear them apart. There's great love between them. And can you imagine having Paul as one of your leaders in your church? I mean, having Paul, when Paul would visit a church, when he would plant a church, he was sometimes there for years. The book of Acts will make it seem like they just, you know, on this boat, popping on and off like a Royal Caribbean cruise, like a day trip. But but no, Paul is actually, you know, sometimes spending incredible periods of time with these churches and he loves these people. You can read the letters he sends back and, and know that he loves these people, but The purpose of the church is not just so we can be together and love each other. There is this imperative for gospel goodbyes where we send one another out because we have this mission to take the gospel to the entire world, remember. So Paul is completely unstoppable. He continues to say farewell, goodbye, and and, and just tear himself away from these congregations that he loves. But you'll notice here that there's the series of gospel goodbyes, but they begin to be punctuated with these warnings. And it becomes very, very dark if you read it. Paul has these meetings with the people to say goodbye. And in every one of these congregations, there's someone who's able to see things in the Spirit. They have the gift of prophecy. And with all of these, these farewell scenes, there begin to be these warning scenes where they say, listen, Paul, the Spirit is showing me what what awaits you. You don't understand, Paul. You you may not understand that in Jerusalem you're going to be in jeopardy. Your life is going to be in jeopardy. You're going to be arrested. I mean, the Holy Spirit's revealing that to the church and prophets, people with the gift of seeing in the congregations that they're warning Paul over and over and over. Listen, this is what the Spirit says. You're going to be bound. You're going to be arrested. You're going to be handed over to the Gentiles, we may never see you again. If you read through the book of Acts with me this week, then you've read these sections, and it's heartbreaking and it's it's strange because on the one hand, it seems like, why is the Spirit telling the church this? Because inevitably, they get this word from the Spirit, then they say, Paul, don't go. Notice that Luke, we know that Luke was traveling with Paul. Luke is the author of Acts and also one of the traveling companions of Paul. And it's interesting when you read the travel log, you can tell when Luke is with them and when Luke isn't with them. Because when he's with them, he says, we. And you notice there in the verse when he says, we begged him not to go. I mean, Luke puts himself in that group of people saying, Paul, don't go. You can't go. They're going to kill you there. You can't go to Jerusalem. Don't go. Luke puts himself in that number saying, Paul, don't. So there's this tension as you read. Is the Holy Spirit telling the church to tell Paul not to go? And is the same Holy Spirit telling Paul to go? There's almost like this contradiction. What's happening? Well, there is no contradiction. Go back to Acts chapter 20, verse 22. This is part of when Paul was saying farewell, being torn away from the Ephesian elders. These are the last words he would speak to these men face to face. And just look at what he says. I mean, Paul knows that the spirit speaks to Paul and Paul already knows. Chapter 20, verse 22. And now I am bound by the spirit to go to Jerusalem. So no matter what anybody else says, understand Paul knows that he's bound by the Spirit. He's going. The Spirit is leading him, compelling him. I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Paul says the Holy Spirit's already told me this. The jail and suffering await me. I, I know this, but at the same time, my life is worth nothing. My life is worth nothing if I'm not going to use it to accomplish the purpose for which Christ has set me aside. And that purpose is to tell the world, to tell the world about Jesus. It, it's his life's purpose. Do you understand that That for Paul, every single moment of his life is an opportunity for the gospel. And the same is true for you and me. Every single moment of your life is a an opportunity for the gospel. Why do we have time at all? Why have I had 51 years and why am I likely to have several more years to, to live this life? Just to, just to have a nice life with my wife and with my son, maybe see my grandkids, maybe have a garden, you know, go to the beach in the summer. Is that really what my life is about? Because honestly, that's pretty much how I live and my life looks about like your life. The striking thing is our lives together don't look much like Paul's life and certainly not like the life of Jesus life is not just for making money life is not just for spinning the wheel and choosing what you're going to do with your life and then going out and getting a job and getting married and having kids that's not what life is for the scripture says that the only reason that the Lord tarries the only reason that Jesus doesn't split the sky today and roll all of this up is for the simple reason that he wants people to be saved He gives more time so that people will be saved, which means the time we have, the time you and I have is not time just to be spent on ourselves to live our lives and see what we can accomplish and experience. You know, YOLO, only live once. That's not what life is for. The only reason there's time at all is so that people will get saved. And the only reason that you and I live, the the reason for which Christ has set us aside is that we may accomplish his purpose, and that is to make sure that people get saved. This life doesn't last forever. This world, nothing in this world is forever. It's all temporary. Don't fall in love with it. Be in love with Jesus and understand that every single moment of your life is an opportunity for the gospel. Paul says, I already know I'm going to jail. He hasn't done anything except preach Jesus, but he knows because the Spirit has shown him, I'm going to jail. I'm going to suffer. But you're not going to stop me. I mean, he, he runs into that. Do you see that with his life? Pointed toward jail and suffering, he just continues to rush into that. He's not turning back because the Spirit is bound him. Jesus has called him, and there's no turning back for him. Every single moment of his life is an opportunity for the gospel. Can you say the same thing? My life is worth nothing, Paul says, unless I use it to accomplish the purpose for which Christ has called me, to tell others the good news of Jesus. I think we believe that I think all of you believe this I think you believe it but the problem is our lives are not led by our beliefs our lives are led by our desires and I guess as a preacher I should I should say something different but I just think it's the truth I don't think we live according to our beliefs. I think we live more according to our our desires. So the simple truth becomes that your life itself is always going to move toward what you secretly most love, what you desire. Your life is moving toward the things that you secretly most love. And the truth is for most of us, what we most love is not Christ. Let's just be honest. It's not Christ. Some of us, our lives just keep on going. You know, we follow the money just always following the money because our lives will always move toward that that we secretly love most now we're in church and we believe that Jesus is more important than all of these things but, but honestly whether he's more important or not we want these things more Warren Weeks, God bless him, he, is, uh, he leads our church in evangelistic efforts. And Warren is always out there inviting you to Karenite and, and, and trying to get you to reach out to prospects. Warren has led in 10 years so many soul winning and evangelism training classes that none of you ever come to. Just being honest, I love you all. Y'all know I love you, but you don't come. It'll be the the least attended class we could possibly offer. Financial peace, if it's a class on money, man, y'all will pay money to come take a class on money, and and you need to. Uh, My wife teaches it. Sorry, honey. Uh, We can pack out financial peace, but if it's an evangelism class, I mean, you know, it may be Warren and Margie. It's not a joke. Because we can't train you to tell people about Jesus. We can't train you if you don't want to do it, understand? And if you wanted to do it, you would have already figured out a way to do it. I I really don't think that we can train you to do anything that you really don't want to do. And let's just be honest, you don't want to. And, And that is a heart issue, and, and we can't change hearts. Only Jesus can change hearts. And our hearts are, are profoundly anchored in the things of this world. Let's just be honest. Our desires are earthly, carnal desires. They may be good things. We call it the American dream. But, but but the fact remains, you have not been born and given breath in your lungs. Jesus didn't die on the cross so that you could have the American dream. Jesus died on the cross so that you might become saved and then a witness for the that others could also know Jesus. Do you not understand this, but you don't want it. You believe it, but you don't want it. The reason that we don't do what they did is because we don't want to. So Paul continues. Plunging toward Jerusalem, knowing that he's going to go to jail knowing that he's just going to suffer. Why? Well, why does he do this? Just very simply, Jesus moves your life with the gospel out toward the world. This is what Jesus always does with every person. Jesus moves your life with the gospel out toward the world. Now, just honestly, if your life is not moving with the gospel out toward the world, you really need to stop and question what or who is moving you. Because it's not Jesus. Jesus moves your life with the gospel out toward the world. If your life is not in motion with the gospel out toward the world, then there's something else moving you. But but don't fool yourself. Let's none of us fool ourselves. Let's not think that we're following Christ when, when we're not, and we don't even want to. If we were, this would be happening, because this is what happens to Paul. Yeah, Brother Tim, but you know, Paul was a missionary. Paul is Paul's a pastor, he's a missionary. He's different. He he's got that special calling on his life. Would you just stop saying that? You don't even know what you're talking about. Missionaries haven't been invented yet. There is no Southern Baptist home mission board yet. Understand? Missionaries have not been invented. Paul didn't, you know, spin the wheel at high school graduation. Say, I won't be a missionary. He's not a missionary. If you asked him, he wouldn't say he's a missionary. What would he say he is? If you said, Paul, what do you do for a living? What would he say? I'm a tent maker. He's a tent maker. He never stopped being a tent maker. Paul is not a man who travels the world and then somebody else is paying him money so that he can be a missionary. Paul is not a missionary like that. He's a tent maker. He works full time. He never stopped working full-time. Read your Bible. Read the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, he met Priscilla and Aquila. They're also missionaries, right? No, they were tent makers too. He hooked up with Priscilla and Aquila in Corinth, and they stayed in Corinth for a long time, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. But what else were they doing? Making tents. Paul said, you know, while I was working, I was teaching you. In other words, you've got to get this picture of Paul. He worked full-time. He happened to have a job that let him travel, and he happened to have a job that let him interact with a lot of people. Paul says, while I was working, I was teaching you. So Paul is at the loom, or Paul is working with the leather. Paul's making tents, even as he disciples people, because somebody's got to make a living. Now, one place Paul complains, he says, what is it? Like, me and Barnabas, the only people I have to work for a living? I mean, Paul says that just like you'd say it. When you see people that seem to have all the time in the world and never have to go to work. Paul says, well, am I the only guy that works? Paul works full time. Why did Paul and Priscilla and Aquila spend so much time in Corinth? Because the Holy Spirit wanted them there. But also, you need to be aware of the simple fact that in the Roman Empire, there were these games, that not really the Olympics, but, but the, 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 the Panhellenic Games, which sort of rotated around in the cities. There were the Caesarean games and the Isthmian games, which were in Corinth. Tourists from all across the Roman Empire would go to these games. But understand, they can't just stay at the Motel 6. So where did tourists sleep? Tents. So if you look at the missionary journeys of Paul, they sort of follow the Isthmian and Caesarean games. Paul's going where the tourists go because he's selling tents. And he's sharing the gospel, and he's planting churches. He does it all at once. So before you say, well, Paul's got a very different calling on his life. No, he doesn't. It's just like you. You're thinking that if we do what the people in Acts did, that everybody's life's going to look like my life, like a preacher. I'm telling you, I'm the weird one. I'm the weird one. When we live our lives on mission, it will not look the same for all of us. It'll never look the same. And I'm the weird one. It almost never looks like a preacher's life. There's nothing like me in the New Testament, Corinth, Ephesus. These churches didn't have full-time pastors. I am the weird one. Most people who have taken the gospel around the world, their lives look more like your lives than it looks like my life. So, So understand that. Understand that you are completely able to do what Paul did. He never, ever missed a day's work. His job let him travel, though, and interact with people. And Paul had this really deep conviction that his life was worth nothing, just worth nothing, if he couldn't use it for spreading the gospel. So every single opportunity was an opportunity for the gospel. What about us? What about you all? If, if really what Paul had was this job that let him travel, this, and this job that let him work with people. Isn't that most of you all? Some of you moved here for your job. You would move for a job. Would you move for the gospel? And if you wouldn't, you, you need to look at your heart. Would you move for the gospel? Like okay. all the school teachers in this church, you're, you're a school teacher, you're a school teacher in Warren County, Simpson County, Logan County, Kentucky. Logan County needs education, I'm, I'm telling you. But uh. Would you go be a school teacher in, say, Santiago? You understand? This is how missions works. I'm not saying quit what you're doing and go be a missionary. I'm saying take what you do and go do it where the gospel is needed. What if you just decided to go be a school teacher in Santiago? San Pedro Sula. What if you did that? What if you just take what you do, you just move your life because your life is on mission, right? What if you just followed that mission somewhere where the gospel is desperately needed? You drive a truck, right? Would you go drive a truck in Indonesia and support the churches that are struggling there? Because you know you could, right? You, you know you could. You know that this is how it works. You're a nurse, right? You're, you're a social work major at Western, and you care about people. Your desire to be a social worker has to do with your love of children. Would you love the children of Nepal, Nepal? Would you love the children of Nicaragua enough to to be a social worker, but be a social worker in Nicaragua? Would you do that? Would you just move for the gospel? Got a lot of farmers in this church, a lot of really good gardeners. Some of you people, man, yeah, I quit raising a garden a long time ago because my garden is so lame and your gardens are amazing. Judy Chaffin's garden is like the Garden of Eden. That's not a joke, y'all. And like you know, I be pulling weeds and you know getting little bitty tomatoes. You know, like those like ping pong balls. You know, hard as rubber. And, and, and you know, I worked hard for those. And I come to church and somebody just you know lays a bushel basket of their of their extra tomatoes, and they're like as big as a child's head. <laughs> you know, why why would I even raise a garden, man? Just wait for y'all to start giving it away. In in, in Bangladesh. Well, there has been incredible, incredible disaster and devastation for generations. They've lost gardening. Gardening is something you probably learn from your parents and grandparents. It's, it's second nature to us because we live in that culture. But if you lose that, if you lose a generation and, and, and you don't pass those skills on, then we now have in, in Bangladesh families that don't know how to raise their own food. Baptist Global Response, part of what they do is try to get people who know how to farm and know how to garden to go to places to teach people how to, how to raise their own food. Well, why couldn't you be a farmer in Bangladesh? You could. This is how the gospel works. This is how the gospel is spread. Are we really going to stay here and stare at each other and I'll just preach, you know, 500 funerals and then we'll all be done? Is that really, really the mission of this church? That that we're just going to sit here and stare at each other? We're just going to watch each other gain weight and die? And my life is worth nothing, nothing, if if not to use it for the purpose that Christ has called me. And the same is true for you. These are lives on mission. Don't go, Paul. I mean, the whole church, everywhere he goes, people said, Paul, don't go. Don't go. Stop. There's a big world out there. You don't have to go to Jerusalem. You can go anywhere. You could go to Spain. You could go anywhere. Don't go to Jerusalem. It's going to end badly for you there. But Paul says, it may end badly for me, but it's going to be great for the gospel. It may end badly for me, but it's going to be great for the gospel. (laughs) What's all this weeping? You're breaking my heart, Paul says. I've got to go. He had the right to remain silent, y'all. He could have lived a very different kind of life. He could live a life that looks like more what we do. He could settle in, become something, you know, and put down roots and raise a family and invest himself in the community. He could live somewhere a long, long time. Paul could have met a nice girl, had children and grandchildren, and wasted his life. My life's worth nothing, Paul says, if I don't accomplish the purpose Christ has for me. So when it came to the gospel, silent was the one thing Paul would never be. You and me, it's a different story. But that could change. That could change. Pray with me. Oh, Lord Jesus. We haven't had enough gospel goodbyes in this place. We haven't sent enough of us out. We sometimes complain, Lord, that the church is too small, that we don't have a big enough seating capacity. But God, the seating capacity of this church is just fine. It's the sending capacity that breaks my heart. It's the sending capacity, Lord. We don't go. We don't send. We just sit and complain that there aren't enough seats to sit in. Oh, Lord, help us. You have given us this mission and this gospel to take to the world, and we have kept it to ourselves. We preach it to one another, and we have not gone into the world. We seek lives of comfort and familiarity and ease and prosperity, Lord, but we do not seem to carry your same burden for the lost people of the world. God, help us. We do not live by our beliefs. We live according to our desires. And Lord, it is plain that we do not want the same things that you want for the world or for ourselves, not even for this church. But Lord, that could change. That could change. Oh God, would you change our hearts? hearts would you make us to love the world would you make us to be bold and, and, and love the gospel or would you make us to love lost people so much that when we are with them we can't keep ourselves from sharing the name of Jesus Lord will you make us just to love the world so much that we just can't stay here any longer while the world goes to hell would you give us hearts like your heart? Would you give us eyes like your eyes? Would you make this church to be ascending church, a planting church, a church that says a whole lot of gospel goodbyes? Lord Jesus, we pray these things not for our benefit, not for our blessings, Lord, but for the sake of the world. Jesus, help us, call us, send us. In Jesus' name, for the love of the world, amen. Stand. Altar's open. You know what to do with an altar. Let's just sing and pray. Let's go.